the Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Warner, Director and Executive Coach at Professional Presentation Services. And with me today is another special guest. We have Andrew Hutton. He's the founder and CEO of Day One Incubator. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on today. Ryan, thanks so much for having me. This is a pleasure. Yeah, you know, you're one of the, definitely one of the the people who I reached out to and I was really interested to have on. I know you've had such an incredible journey and you've had so many experiences that have led you to doing what you're doing right now. And as you know, I'm a huge supporter of day one because I think your organization, your incubator helps founders, helps aspiring entrepreneurs so much and giving them all the ins and outs, not just here's some marketing and advertising and, and here's some you know funding. You kind of do a little bit of everything. And, and I think that's, and with a warm touch as well, which is always appreciated. Uh, that's the, you, you said it better than I can. I got to record. I'm going to go back to this recording and uh, <laughs> just remember how you pitched that. Um, obviously this is, uh, this is your forte. So uh, perfectly said I, and very kind words. Thank you. Oh yeah. I appreciate it. So on, on that note, I'll turn it over to you. Why don't you tell the folks, our listeners, what's your day to day like and how yeah. do you typically spend your days now? Absolutely. So, you know, like you said, day one, um, an incubator is a really good like framing for what we do, right? It's it's not an accelerator, we're not a VC, um, but we are supporting founders and very early stage entrepreneurs. Um, as often, like you said, aspiring is 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 the other great word. Um, folks who wouldn't yet call themselves an entrepreneur. And I run this we, it's very much a we at this point. Um, you know, our flagship program is called the Day One Fellowship. And um, we fought long and hard. That's a, that's a really good word for what this is, where it's one part community. It's absolutely one part um, bringing people in the similar stage and similar space, but from very diverse backgrounds together, um, but giving them you know much more than just like a Slack channel, right? Um, highly um, intentional programming, um, curated guests, uh, mentors like yourself. I know we've plugged you in quite often as well as, uh, kind of high touch guidance, right? Like, like there's, you know, one, one thing that we think a lot about is, is three C's between coaching community and curriculum, right? The idea that there's teaching and it needs to be, you know, right sized for founders. Um, there's, there's the community side, which is really a home base, right? The ability to tap someone on the shoulder, build a relationship with somebody. And then the coaching aspect, right? The fact that sometimes you just need somebody to call you out or kick your butt or, you know, mm-hmm. work through a problem with you, right? Just think of any kind of coach, whether it was a, you know, piano teacher or a basketball coach, anything in between. So we're kind of reframing the kind of environment a founder can, can, can have as they start up. It's not just a co-working space. I mean, it's virtual. So, you know, it's a virtual community. So what is my day-to-day, right? You know, right now it's, it's, it's always split. You know, there's sometimes there's an on-season and an off-season, depending if we're in the middle of a program or not. And I do um, generally take point in, you know, lead facilitator, oftentimes professor teaching a lot of the, the workshops and, and different things that we do. Um, and there's some off-seasons where we're working more on the business taking feedback, figuring out how to evolve and build for the next time. So I put a program design hat on quite often, right? Um, I put a community design and community manager hat on, you know, I'm, I'm in Slack, just like bumping up, you know, people and giving responses and replies. But then, like I said, you know, basically a kind of modern virtual professor, right? Holding court, giving lectures. We try not to lecture very often, right? But sometimes you got to exposit, you know, explain a topic, taking questions. Um, and that's where I get my energy, whether it's in a big-ish room, a medium room or one-on-one, 
um, kind of going through the topics of entrepreneurship. Um, and like, I've, at this point, there's not much that a founder can say that'll surprise me, right. From, <laughs> you know, them getting down on themselves because it's hard and lonely to, um, just like going to market, building products, every like tactical functional things. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely, um, sharing wisdom. Um, and oftentimes it does become like founders need to hear the same stuff. And so we think a lot about is how do you help folks go up a learning journey? Like, how do you motivate folks? How do you get folks kind of excited to connect with each other? Right. And Mm -hmm. we've chosen a virtual medium, um, intentionally. So, and there's a lot of pluses to that because we can be always on, we can be anywhere, but there's a lot of downsides, right? We don't have that like physical, like rubbing shoulders camaraderie that happens in an office or a a co-working space. So, um, so yeah, we very much are paying attention to, um, very intentional about how we communicate and interact with, with all of our, with all the founders in our community. Excellent. Yeah. We're definitely going to touch on that uh, later on in a moment. And I, I very much support what you just said. Everything is very much aligned with the the founders that I've had the, the fortune, the good fortune to work with that have come from day one. They're very community oriented. Some of them, even after they've gone the fellowship, they still come back for, for touch points. I, I absolutely. Yeah. I can't recall if they're weekly meetings or, but they, yeah, we're always running stuff. We're always running stuff and um, always giving people all space. Yeah, absolutely. So that's definitely a comforting feeling. It must be for them that they, they know that it's not once they're done, they're out the shoot that they're still connected. I mean, that's one of our philosophies that the entrepreneurship journey is borderline lifelong, right? It's a long game, right? And Mm. to bucket anything into just three months and to not pay attention to like what happens months and frankly years after the fact isn't doing a, the full job. Right. so, you know, by design, we're here for folks as they go down that journey, right. As things pivot change. Um, sometimes people go heads down for months or, you know, I just talked to somebody, I don't think I'd talked to in over in about a year. Right. <laughs> um, but he, he surfaced back up and was like, this is where I'm at in my journney. This is what's next. And I was like, perfect. Here's a little bit of advice. Love to help you out. And, you know, that's just the nature of our community now that it's grown and it's dynamic and um, it's kind of taking on a life of its own. Yeah. And I had the other point you mentioned that I, I wrote down, I thought that, you know, I hadn't even thought of that. You've probably had so many conversations with so many founders and so many issues. Like, it just blew my mind. You're like, yeah, you probably have so, so much unique insight uh, in all different industries to share. I, I, you know, we might have to do a follow-up podcast for that but uh yeah we could we could see how far it stretches yeah yeah i do think it's pretty diverse um maybe in yeah it's getting deeper absolutely so yeah food for thought we might have to put that on for next time but so tell our our listeners how did you i guess start day one in the first place how did you decide to yeah be what happened tell tell us the story yeah so i think honestly like most entrepreneurs um there was a decently linear sort of like fell into this. So what I was, my career, my job, my role directly before starting day one um, was pretty analogous to the, to the stuff. So I was supporting founders. Okay. I was working at a venture studio, which is a venture capital firm that hires people like me who are supporters and coaches to, um, I guess, if I have a functional background um, and expertise, it's really in it's really in what I'd call venture design. Literally, like, uh, it's weird to say, but like I, I majored in the art of starting startups, right? Okay. And so uh, it's a craft I've honed. And then in, in a lot of ways, because I had this role at this venture studio where we would recruit founders, right? Like day one, we work with dozens to hundreds. 
this was more bespoke, right? We would work with one or two at a time. Mm. We'd go really deep with them. We'd guide them through the journey, like super hands-on. Like it was my full-time day job to work with one or two founders at a time. And I was almost like their co-founder, right? So I'd work with these folks for three or six months as their sort of proxy co-founder, um, representative of the firm, but also looking out for, you know, it was all in our best interest to like find a big business, make sure it was a good idea, do the testing, do the early MVPs. So um, I got to do that for three years and I got so many shots on goal, got to really, you know, work on, you know, different, all sorts of, you know, software businesses, food businesses, real estate businesses, everything in between. Right. Um, And so I got to work on these different businesses, got to work with dozens and dozens, like work hands-on with dozens of founders. I probably got to meet hundreds, a few hundred founders. And that was sort of the, you know, foundation the, the kind of more personal emotional journey was, um, you know, twofold really. One was after you work with a dozen founders as their sort of number two, as they're like, literally they're not, not even Robin more like they're, um, they're, um, um, who's the guy like the Butler, right? Literally like they're concierge. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like not even in the game, right? Like, of course, that's a trade-off. Um, but I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I was like, man, I can do this. I need to do this. I need to prove I can do this. I need to be the guy. I think a lot, a lot of founders sort of have a version of that. Sometimes they're thrust into it. Sometimes they're just like, I'm not fulfilled unless I shoot my shot and take this, this opportunity. So I definitely had that. And then, um, then the second was the pandemic. Um, in the beginning of 2020, um, everyone went remote. That almost created the market for day one, which was everyone just like left to the woods. Um, you know, their jobs were only taking up three hours of their day. They're doing side hustles. There was also some upheaval. People were getting fired. People were quitting. Mm-hmm. And it, it just felt like there was just like pent up energy release of like, man, I need to do something. Right. And so we basically reacted to that. So, um, you know, I almost was part of that of like pent up energy released. And so in a lot of ways, I was just working for my peers of like, let's get everyone together. And let me do what I do for a bigger number of people. Um, like our core mission is to basically bridge the gap between what I used to do for one or two people at a time and how to do it for one or 2000 people at a time, you know, <laughs> just because the number of entrepreneurs out there, like if you're listening, I count you as an entrepreneur, no joke, right? You are entrepreneurial, right? I don't know you, but you are, maybe you're a freelancer, maybe you do have a day job, but you're thinking about how to improve. Maybe you're intrapreneuring and innovating. Maybe you're getting ready. Like I have a high confidence that in the next decade, the vast majority of folks who live in our kind of remote knowledge working space are going to do something entrepreneurial. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I look at that exploding market and said like, where are these folks getting their education? Where are they getting their connections? Where are they learning to like learning, learning and growing. And so just like we have business school, just like we have heck art school, like where's entrepreneurship school. So, you know, all those things coincided in the summer of 2020 to be like, let's launch day one. And it's been almost two years of uh, quite a ride. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? A lot has happened for day one in the last two years. That that's absolutely for certain. Just a quick follow-up question. When you were when you were young in college and, and then shortly thereafter, did you know, did you always have that entrepreneurial drive and that spirit? Did you know? Or was- no, no, I did not. I, I cannot say I did. I think I was always a bit ambitious, right? I kind of always 
knew I wanted to like have impacts. I didn't know if that meant be a CEO, be a, I don't know. I had a very like loose view of the world of um, business. You know, I like didn't, you know, and so I kind of wanted to explore that and like, you know, maybe just some like, yeah, some ambition, but my first sort of like personal professional sort of like, I want to be this mm-hmm. aside from like wanting to be a firefighter when I was five was <laughs> to go be, to go be a designer. Like I, I sort of idolized um, the uh, like, like John made uh, like the folks who did business and design. Right. Oh, yeah. And so that's really where I got, like when I said I majored in startups, I really majored in design thinking. Truly, I have a grad degree from Parsons, um, which is a design school in New York, and it's a business in design. So it's creative and analytical. It's using design thinking um, to solve business problems. And I didn't know it at the time, but ultimately that's the foundation for starting for, for entrepreneurship, right? How to be creative in the pursuit of solutions uh, that become businesses. Mm. That, that's literally that's literally entrepreneurship right whether you start a lawn mowing business in your neighborhood or you start a tech startup to yeah. go you know compete with google right you're just you're just being creative you're doing something that someone's not doing today at least in one per specific way for a different market with a different value prop something's new something's innovative um and you're not just gonna like tinker at it you're gonna go build a business and i think businesses are the greatest engine for you know, obviously innovation, but also like progress, right? This is like how we move the world forward. Um, huge fan of government, huge fan of, you know, the social sector, but like business needs to be there too. And so innovation, entrepreneurship, definitely go hand in hand. Yeah, that's really interesting. So all the way along, you were kind of following your passion. It just so happened to align with the recipe for success in entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the way to say it. I, I just learned entrepreneurship was a good outlet for, I think my proclivities and my, my interests and, and, and what I'm at least okay at. (laughs) Fascinating actually how the stars kind of aligned for that outcome. So the professionally speaking podcast, we had to talk a little bit about communication and obviously I'm hardcore and believe that it's the skill that enhances all other skills, but someone such as yourself that you mentioned earlier, have so many conversations with so many different folks in so many different industries. Can you share with our listeners uh, maybe a, a couple strategies that you've picked up that's effective for you, or maybe something you did before that you change and do differently now? Yeah, I mean, I feel we've all had to figure out how to get better at Zoom, right? How to get better at communicating um, to groups, um, you know, in this virtual medium, right? And what it takes to kind of convey ideas, what it takes to keep people interested. Um, and yeah, I kind of think back to our very first, you know, programs and cohorts. Um, I think perhaps because I, I, I was a professor at Parsons as well as, as after I graduated, I have like led classes, um, in the past, all actually not all in person. Some of them were online. So I did have an early taste of, of some of this. Um, but it's like, actually the thought I'm getting to is like, you know, I think there's two quotients by which you can kind of engage somebody in the sort of like, you're here to learn. I'm here to teach. We're all here to have like an enlightening experience. Like I'm not here to, so I'm not talking about sales, right? I'm not talking about like getting you over the line and I'm not talking about like a coaching thing just yet, which I can get into in terms of like much more like one-to-one and like, you know, coaching has like an emotional element to it. It's almost like managing where you have to like give people space to, um, 
get over their own hurdles. Like you can't mm-hmm. teach, you have to just let them get there and like do the little things, whether it's pushing or pulling or something. But when I'm talking about like communicating from a like more like borderline classroom perspective, um, there's always that like polish side of things, right? That in like this, this background, I'm like really proud of it, but it's only like a week old. Um, <laughs> and for the longest time, like I didn't have good lighting and all these things. And so there's definitely the professional side of like just being somebody in a place in a state, like I'm probably using the wrong mic right now. Like that is, that is like, there's like the lower, lowering the barriers to like information traveling across your voice to their ears. Right. Like, like being, um, I think that's real. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but then obviously the, so that's maybe delivery. And then the other side of things that I've definitely, um, you know, basically probably would see there's the bigger, the bigger variable to all this is like, man, can you truly create it's, there's no better way to say it. Like interesting content. Like, can you have something interesting to say? So we have, we have guests all the time into day one. Right. So as often as I can, I'm not the one speaking, right. I'm not the one uh, making most of the words uh, on a call, but how do you ask great questions? And like, there's just no substitute for just like, novel insights and ideas that do come out maybe in stories um, that do come out as like, man, I just see entrepreneurs having this aha moment all the time. Like they're going through an experience. They hear someone else talk about their version of it and their, their mind is literally stretched. They're like, now I've gone from like my one version of this. And now I can immediately like almost like vicariously live someone's life. So I don't know. I kind of just went on a little bit right there. Um, didn't have the strongest framework to answer that, but, um, but yeah, I do feel that like, we're always looking to basically and, and heighten the amount of like signal to noise, signal to time almost, right? Like how can almost every moment possible be really full of something fascinating, something, you know, novel, um, and maybe I'm doing that. Maybe I'm not right now, but, um, (laughs) very much, um, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of polish and presentation, a lot of bit of, you know, you know, make sure there's a lot of meat on the bones. And um, yeah, I'll let you ask the next question so you can like get me back on track. But I don't know, it's definitely felt like those two things drive a lot of how we educate entrepreneurs and like do what we do. No, thank you for that answer. I think you gave us a little bit of a bigger picture, like a little bit of a step back and, and look at the the communication and look at the the like you said, the delivery and the content and how it gets expressed through various people and and the more novel delivers or messages the more likely it is to stick and hit, and hit someone so I, I definitely i'm with you on that i guess on a, on a more micro level with you and your uh, interactions be it coaching or leading small groups or anything like that is there a part of your communication that has changed over time and i guess how would you approach hmm. those situations sure sure um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe go back to that, to that coaching side where, you know, sometimes coaching happens in front of a group, right. Sometimes it happens, but you know, oftentimes it's, you know, one-on-one, um, and, and yeah, like the communication, this is almost like getting me to reflect on maybe things I don't do so well often, <laughs> but, sorry, um, I think a lot, no, I love it. Um, people can hear me process out loud, but I think a lot of the most effective communication, and I'm just going to like you know, speak back at me. Like I'm the audience for this message here is, um, is when I'm saying less, um, back to the point where 
especially in entrepreneurship where like the data points that are relevant are generally known, right? You can go read an article on it. Like, you know, knowledge, you know, in most school, in most endeavors, it's not the knowledge that's missing. It's the understanding and it's even the belief and even the clarity, most, most importantly, the clarity of what to do with that knowledge. And so I find that once people are unpacking things themselves and not like teaching it back to me, we're not like playing that game per se, but the ability to, um, to give people space to work through it and vocalize it. Some people are probably not live vocalizing thinkers, so they need another way for it. But if I can give people space with a little bit of prompting and a lot more sort of them working through it, then I'm communicating, right? Like communicating isn't literally about words being spoken. Communicating is about conveying ideas well past just like the idea gets said, but like I said, to the understanding and the application and the clarity of it. So one thing I, I can I can speak to that is, is an entirely different uh, circumstance is when we were fundraising, right? So we just raised, not just, but over the winter, um, at the end of last year, beginning of this year, we raised our first institutional round of capital um, called a pre-seed round. And we um, pitched a lot, <laughs> right? And the pitches that went the best were the ones where we could go from speaking more to speaking less, right? And um, that's because as much as an investor had a question for us, we knew we were winning or this was likely to go somewhere when they were working through it with us, right? Um, and so, you know, I probably didn't use this rhetorical method quite often to be like, well, what do you think? Like, that's not really what anyone is ready to do when they're getting grilled by an investor <laughs> to be like, let me turn it back at you. Mm -hmm. But at some point it becomes that. And those are just always the most fruitful. And those are the ones where I can, I can feel confident. We communicated our big ideas, right? We communicated um, the opportunity that we were after. We communicated the, you know, uh, we communicated that we were the people to do this, that we had, you know, that we had achieved enough stuff to show that we were the right people, that we had the right ideas of where to go next, that they were, you know, using the we and, you know, talking, you know, about it with us. So maybe that's just a little more of like, once the job is done, then it becomes more collaborative, but um, so that obviously wasn't a coaching experience, but definitely from a communication, like, you know, if you want somebody to have understood the idea, they almost have to be the ones saying it back to you. Otherwise, I mean, there is a chance that they just heard it and truly understood it. But I think that's really rare, right? We kind of just know in practice, if somebody hears something very passively and never riffs on it with you, never puts it into practice, the odds that they actually heard it from an idea kind of, um, and I like, like ingestion almost like they get it mm -hmm. is pretty low. Right. So yeah, you're getting me philosophical on ideas and communicating, which is like, it's not about <laughs> the medium. It's about the, the outcome of it. Right. And what does it take to get people there? Yeah, no, I thought you were going to give us some, some hard and fast. Yeah. Rule number one, always do this rule number two, never do that. But you kind of took us down a rabbit hole. I got, hole. I, I got none of those. Um, I am not a, uh, you know, I love watching a TikTok or two on like how people do sales, and I'm like always mind blown of like there are people who walk into meetings ready with like 
handling objections. That is wild to me. Um, but I know people do, right? Like that's kind of how you do some sales and and whatnot. So yeah, not the guy to talk about that. <laughs> I, maybe the guy to talk about like, what's it like being a founder <laughs> and how do you, uh, and how do I think about communicating? Well, that is a, that is a valuable insight that you shared though. And a lot of people, I mean, nerves often ruin that for people, but the ability to, to, you know, pause to be silent for a moment or, or two, let what you've just said sink in, let them connect it to their previous knowledge, consider it, et cetera. Yeah. Effective yeah. communication that we always, you know, on this channel, we talk about this channel, like I'm like a hundred years old <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast. We talk about effective communication. Like your, your message is sent and it's received the way you intend it to be received. It doesn't, yeah. It doesn't That's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be chock full of words. It can be silent. At yes. Yes. I'm glad I'm thinking in a way that you, the professional, already think about this. Of yeah, it can be fewer words. It can be, yeah, give people space to like digest it, feel uncomfortable. I don't know. Like, actually, I'm curious, I almost ask you a question, which is like, I, I think about that kind of like idea of like leaving a space in a conversation. I, I'm pretty victim to like fast talking and always feeling and like jumping in as soon as someone ends. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but that leaves no room for emotional, like even like one processing, but two, the emotional side of things, right. Mm -hmm. Where somebody might be hanging on a word or, or even like feeling the silence to, I don't know, reflect. I don't know if there's an emotional side, but I, like, is that something that you guys bring up when you talk, more deeply with maybe practitioners of this communications profession of um, the emotional side of what you're, you're saying and how people receive it. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that we do because one of the personality types, one of the, or not a personality type, but one of the common personality traits that people share, some people are more analytical than other, more the introvert side. Yeah. Um, and for them, they, they need time to, to, to process that's mm. how they kind of operate and more so than normal. The usually the research says three to four times more than say like an accommodator or an assertive personality type. Mm. So someone who's an accommodator, like such as yourself, who like you're very friendly, likes to, to help people, likes to do this, likes to, mm -hmm. if you'll be more inclined to fill in that silence and say, are you understanding this? Is there anything else I can do? You know, I would do that all the time. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely <laughs> something I have to fight against. Um, um, and I'll say things like, do you understand it? But I won't let it sit in like a pregnant pause. I'll be like actively <laughs> yeah. forcing somebody to react to me. Um, and, and yeah, again, like preaching to myself, like, no, I got to fight that. <laughs> we, yeah, I'm the same. So yes, I, we all, we both fight that battle, my friend, we share that, but it's a good, it's a good practice to get into though, to, to kind of size up who you're, who you're speaking with. And if they tend to get into the weeds, usually engineers are that type. It just, it just, they tend mm -hmm, to be more mm -hmm. analytical when they think of things. So I give them a little bit more time and then, you know, we'll kind of gauge their body language a little bit, but, but yeah, I mean, going back to what you about pitching and persuasion, I think that's a great strategy that you shared building in those moments of silence and, and the, you know, it's, an, it's a sign of if you're on the right track, the less you yeah. have to speak. Right. Because yeah. you're kind of, you're, you're leading them. I say an effective presentation, if it's persuasive at the end, you've kind of led them to your yep. conclusion. Right. What, what do you, can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, what do you do? So I, I, now that we're getting into this idea of persuasion and the idea, you know, a big thing that I wrestle with is 
as I talk about this with all my peers, right, who are doing coaching of entrepreneurs and a lot of our mentors. And what I talk with them about is like, I see people going down the wrong path all the time. And it's extremely hard to convince somebody who's like set their like life goal to like ship this product or build this business. And I'm like, please stop, walk it back, <laughs> explore, go deeper. And I was just talking with one of our mentors about this exact same thing. And he was, he's like, luckily I got through to them. So this idea of like getting through to a founder is really like something that I think about all the time, right? Mm-hmm. How to convince some, and it's like, it's a lot, maybe it's safer to, con- I don't know. It's like convincing your good friends to not go through with that wedding thing. I don't know. Like it can feel that like fraught to like try to help a founder kind of walk, but there's almost, it's always the right move. It's always valuable because mm-hmm. obviously well, we, I could be wrong, right? Like I, I don't like see the future, but like when I see somebody going down the wrong path, it's like even like all the sunk costs are just sunk costs, right? The best thing is anyway, how, how do you think about like getting people like, is there, is there like technique or like persuasion to be like the facts are the facts and I know them and I could hit them over the head all day, but like how do you get somebody to like see the truth about a thing that's like extremely personal, close, they're invested in, and they just don't want to see it? Yeah, that's always a tough question. The answer is uh, so the the first if they're willing if they are dead set on they're going to die on that hill. I mean, at some some people are just like, no, this has always been was my dad's passion before mine, and I have to right, see him right. through and for better yeah. or worse. Um, so for those people, unfortunately, they're they're gonna go off on their way. But the the, the most effective way that I have found and that the research supports is you, it's a little bit time consuming. That's the only downside. But to to walk it back with them and say like, what is most valuable to you here? Is mo- mm-hmm. is is was your goal being successful? And is it being successful in X or is it being? Does it matter the field you're successful in, or do, is it right? And what about that success is most valuable to you? Is it taking care of your team and your employees, or is it like you have a, a mark to hit in your head that's kind of imaginary? And once you iron that out, then that you can realign and map out the steps to get there, which are a little bit more conducive to what you would determine as good, uh, positive steps yep. as opposed yep. to wasting time and resources, et cetera. Yeah. It's like asking a lot of why questions, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, a form of those. Okay. Fascinating. I have one other question for you because these are something else. <laughs> so maybe this is a fun little twist on your podcast, which is it like, is. This has I, I, work with, I work with hundreds of entrepreneurs. Um, here's another thing I see entrepreneurs who cannot shut up. They, they will talk too much. And I know they basically need you as a coach, as a, you know, to guide them. They need to, they need everything Ryan around like communicating. Cause I know they're getting in their own way. Right. And maybe it's, I mean, maybe it's a simple one. Cause it's like, they're, they're way too verbose. Their ideas are going too fast. Like they're not, they're not persuasive. So is it actually that simple that they just need to dial it back or like, I mean, again, maybe I'm just saying like they need comms, like their ideas aren't bad. It's like, they're probably just shooting themselves in the foot, but like, I don't know what the question is. Like, how do you help them? <laughs> yeah. it's no, Cause no I still desperately want to, cause it's <laughs> purely in their form of communicating that they're messing up, not in their business, not in their execution, how they get people bought in. 
Yeah, I have, I have something for this. This this one's this is good. I like this one. This is kind of like a softball. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I've been working a lot in the, in the legal sector late, lately with lawyers, and they tend to do this a lot, especially the, the new lawyers coming up. They tend to be very verbose, especially when they're speaking with judges and authority because they feel like it's kind of intrinsic. The higher level words they use, the more they showcase their vocabulary. They think that they'll be perceived as more intelligent or more prepared or more capable insert positive adjective. Yep. But in fact, what happens is the research shows that when people do this, the reception of their message is actually not received warmly. It's not positive. It's negative because people interpret that as this person's trying to show off. They're trying to flex or this person's talking above me. They're condescending to me, or I have to struggle to understand what they're saying, or it has like, it could be any of those. And none of those are positive, right? No one's going to say, wow, this person's really bright. I want to work getting business with them, right? They're going to say, why is this person talking above me? Or why can't they use different words that are easier for me to understand? So that is not conducive to getting investment or a, a co-founder or anything that they would need in, in your world. So if I, my advice would be, again, to walk it back to what is your goal here? Your goal is to accomplish X. What is the increasing the probability the most? Well, we got to use language that's most effective for them. They can understand and process easily and it'll, they'll be warm to it and be inclined to do what you want. Yeah. I remember, um, so I had that syndrome as a consultant for sure. Right. It's both a bit of like insecurity. You want to use the big words. You want to show up with answers. Mm -hmm. Um, but also I'm like a fast talker. I'm an intellectual guy. I can do that <laughs> all day. Right. So I yeah. was not good. Um, and I'm probably still not great at it for sure. Um, but I like have this distinct memory of one of my like bosses, 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 like a very senior partner at the consulting firm where I got my start. And he was like this Southern guy who spoke so slowly in a room, <laughs> rooms full of like fast talking consultants. And he stood out and like, not just because he was kind of like, I was how, I'm sure that's how he got to be the boss, 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 right. A very senior partner. It's because it was just like, you hung on his words, mm. right. When he spoke and in like, you were not, about to interrupt him, you know, like, like people do, they kind of like know when you give a space, you edge in and you like get your word. And like, <laughs> yeah, like there was something about the tone, maybe again, again, I can't tell if this is cause or effects, but the like gravitas and seniority. And I, and I was like captivated, you know, um, even when he's like saying very standard stuff. So I think about that when it's pure tone, pure pace, I'm not doing it at all. Right. Like, but mm -hmm. like, having a very natural inviting Southern almost drawl was like, so, and, and I think about that vis-a-vis -vis some of these founders and I'm like, I know why they're not getting funding. No one's leaving emotionally juiced, mm -hmm. emotionally drawn in to this problem, right? If anything, they're exhausted from having to get their three, because they want to share ideas. They want to get excited with you and they have to freaking fight their way in, mm -hmm. right? That's not a good way to win anyone to your side. So now I'm slowing down because I said it out loud and I'm like trying to do it, <laughs> but I'm also about to get excited and I'm going to go fast. So anyway, you're making me think of a lot of really cool stuff. Um, <laughs> just, just, just kind of, of, of how it does show up. Um, cause, uh, yes, yeah. Entrepreneurship is all about persuading, whether it's a new customer or a new hire, an investor, if you're doing something new by definition, it's, it's either an entirely new value proposition. It's an entirely new thing or, it's a new brand, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes people do, they open up a lawn mowing business. I'm not better than anyone yet. I'm probably actually worse 
because I'm not experienced, but I may be better in one specific way. But people know what they're getting when they buy a lawn mowing service. So how are you going to convince folks that yours is the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Is it features? Rarely is it features, right? It's got to be something much more personal, something much more, much more emotional, right? And Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, less on like me as so less on me and like what I'm master at, but more of like this industry and like, yeah, how important it is. Well, I think the fact that you acknowledge all of that, that you recognize that and you've seen it, the, the positive outcomes and the negative consequences of effective and ineffective communication. I think that that says a lot. Totally. Thousand percent. It's all it's yeah. And I can keep going. Like it's like entrepreneurship is one of the reasons we do what we do and how we do it is because we, we relationships drive the business for good and for bad. Right. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, it, it can be, you know, something that keeps people out of the boys club. That's very true. But even within, you know, tight knit networks of underrepresented founders and it's all about relationships and and so one, that's why we build a community. And two, that's why we spend a lot of time kind of creating the right space and culture for people to meet, right? But we can't do the work. We only lead the horses to water, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so, I mean, this is more about just like how communication, being friendly, being open to connections and whatnot. But like, yeah, how do you, the, the way that you draw people in, right? Like we all know that person who like has a lot of friends and is like kind of the life of the party. Maybe it's because they're a clown, but like as often as not, it's because they tell good stories and they're really like endearing. And I would lump that into like, how do you show up? Right. Are you Hmm. talking way too much? Are you using big words? Do you suck the air out of the room? Right. Hmm. Um, Whether it's like a pitch to investors or just like hanging out with friends, you know? friends, like to be friends when you're meeting on, when you're meeting connections and networking and stuff, right? Like how do you leave that networking event with a success versus nothing, right? It's all in your communication. So yeah, man, it's completely baked into everything any entrepreneur does. Last question. I know your time is valuable and and we thank you so much, Andrew, for taking some time out for us today. Again, the last question for you is it's, it's going to be a little bit of a deep question, but I know you're capable of this. So if you could uh, go back in time and speak to yourself 10 years ago, what advice would you give to that, Andrew, 10 years ago? Mm. Where would I be in life? So I would have been just finishing grad school slash starting this job as a consultant. And I would probably say, go start building something now. Um, I would, you know, entrepreneurship, and taking bets on yourself is, is, is a game of asymmetric upside, meaning the cost is one X what you put into it. It's your time, your money. And so many things, you know, maybe 10 years ago was a little hard, but like, there's so many ways to side hustle, right? Whether it's a product that you build and launch on Kickstarter, or it's an agency that you start on the side, right? I think it's a way more common now to have this like multiplicity of jobs and hustles and all that. Mm-hmm. but um, start something. So the, the idea that the cost of entrepreneurship is a 1X, but the upside can be borderline infinite, right? And so um, if you take 10 shots, it's kind of like how VCs invest, right? If you take 10 shots, you might miss 10 times, but if you stay in the game long enough and hit one, you're, you're, you've changed your trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the only way people break out, right? They've either 
you know, they've either won the sort of genetic lottery and they've been either put on a trajectory that's amazing, or they've gotten some disposition from like, a, you know, the work ethic to go um, kind of create a trajectory for themselves or people are the other side is they're scrappy and they take bets and there's no reward without risk. Um, but again, I mean, something else I might tell myself is like, there's really no risk to even failure because you learn, you build these connections. Mm -hmm. You are way better the next time. The only way you, the, the reason why you might succeed on your 10th time is because you learn stuff from your prior not. Right. And there's no success until you do all that work. So basically don't play it safe. Young people shouldn't play it safe. And I was like, I did that enough to get to this point, but like, you know, I see 27 year olds who are doing crazy stuff and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's impressive. You know, that's impressive. And, uh, and so, yeah, definitely. So yeah, 22 year olds go nuts. <laughs> I like it. Have high expectations for yourself. Don't I like it. Much. I like yeah. it. Go play, play offense, not defense. Ex- absolutely. Absolutely. Have three side hustles. Now's the time. That's great. That's great. All right. So Andrew Hutton, he's founder and CEO of day one. Andrew, I'll give you the last word here. Where can uh, prospective or aspiring entrepreneurs and founders yeah. find you? If they need your help. What can they do? Absolutely. I mean, I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. I use it. Um, DM me, you know, friend request me, whatever they call it. Um, you know, Andrew Hutton, I'm decently findable, but also join day one.com is our, is our website. Um, you can read up on the fellowship. If, uh, if you're entrepreneurial and you're kicking tires or you're even just like exploring being an entrepreneur, that's what we've designed. And we've made it very accessible, very affordable um, to join a community that does that. So yeah, join day one.com, find me on Twitter, find me on LinkedIn and um, would love to be connected. All right. And just on that note, I'll just throw one last plug in here from the dozen or so founders that I've worked with and met from day one. Not one person has said they've had a bad experience. Everyone raves about how friendly, oh my gosh. how positive it is. Everyone loves it. They, and they, they get, it's like gum. They stick to it. They, they don't leave. <laughs> they, they keep coming back. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, we're early days. There's a lot more to come. It's like getting in early in a club um, a little bit. So um, yeah, that's, that's really heartwarming. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm so appreciative that you're part of this community. So it's, uh, it's all gravy. All right, Andrew. Well, yeah, thank you again for coming on. And for our listeners out there, we wish you success in your future speaking endeavors. 